There is a cleansing needed in our FBI and Department of Justice. Never a good idea to use the word cleansing in a political context. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Maybe that's just me. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. I wonder if Obama's listening today out there in Hawaii. <laughs> and, uh, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming on the nets. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Blanketing planet Earth right here on the Bradcast five days a week or nearly so over the holidays. Glad you could join us today. Coming up uh, with calls from Fox News and Republicans to fire special counsel Robert Mueller only increasing during the interim between these uh, holidays of Christmas and and New Year's, one Republican congressman has actually called for a complete purge at the FBI. Cleansing is not a good word to use. Purging is not a good word to use in uh, political contexts. But that's what the Republicans are doing right now. So what are the Democrats doing, if anything, in response? And And how did we get to a place where a Republican special prosecutor investigating the the firing of a Republican FBI director by a Republican president could somehow be considered in any way, shape or form to be some sort of partisan Democratic witch hunt? How could that have happened? How did that happen? How are we even in a world where that framework is is even possible? Well, The Intercept's John Schwartz has some ideas about that and uh, and paints a very clear historical picture of the what I'm calling the Republican protection racket uh, that has been carefully put into place by Republicans since at least the downfall of Richard Nixon. And the dots connect directly to the scam being put forward by Trump and his Republican pals in Congress right now. And yes, by the media. That's all coming up shortly. But yes, uh, we are here, Desi Doyen and myself both yep, are, we are here, here over the holidays. And, and I want to thank those of you who have stepped up to try to help us continue our work into 2018 by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. 
at this uh, crucial, critical time for us here. Your support is uh, is greatly appreciated, particularly those of you who sign up for an automated monthly pledge to let us know you will be supporting us for a while. Um, but uh, but both that and one-time donations at bradblog.com slash donate here at year's end are greatly appreciated. So uh, thanks. I know it's the holidays. I know that everybody's busted from Christmas. But, of course, we're looking forward to that great big tax cut we're all going to get. <laughs> so there will be plenty of money there to share. So uh-huh. um, thank you uh, for everyone who's uh, pitched in so far. Uh, first, before we get to John Schwartz, uh, we covered some court news from over the Christmas holiday weekend on yesterday's broadcast, but we couldn't get to all of it. So let me start here. A federal judge late on Friday before the holiday sided with a Democrat on President Trump's so-called Election Integrity Commission. Really, it's a fake voter fraud commission. Uh, in the uh, Democrats' request that the commission turn over documents that it had been withholding from release, U.S. District Court Judge Colleen Kolar-Cotelli issued a preliminary decision backing the Democrat. Maine Secretary of State Matt Dunlap, Dunlap um, who is on this phony presidential voter fraud commission, uh, the judge backed Dunlap in his claim that he was entitled to view internal communications and other records that the commission has resisted releasing publicly or even to him, a member of the commission. The judge stopped short of granting some of Dunlap's requests, including blocking the commission from releasing a final report if uh, Dunlap was not treated as an equal participant on this phony commission. Uh, as she said, that uh, a decision about blocking a final report for the moment is premature. But Friday's order was the result of a lawsuit brought by Dunlap last month after he had complained to the media and then directly to the commission staff that he was being shut out of all of their decision making decision processes, decision making processes, conversations. The commission uh, called officially the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity was created by Donald Trump back in May when he claimed repeatedly without any evidence whatsoever that millions, uh, millions of people voted illegally in 2016. Uh, somehow they were either Democrats voting tens of thousands of times each or they were non-citizens voting three to five million of them that nobody saw and that there is no evidence for. Um, you know, or maybe it was just a bunch of Hillary loving uh, tooth fairies. Hard to say. But anyway, this investigation was meant to look into it. This commission, it's chaired by Vice President Mike Pence and uh, vice chaired by Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who really runs it. This right winger who has been pretending there is massive Democratic voter fraud going on all over the country for years. And basically so that he could push for restrictive voting laws to keep Democratic leaning voters from being able to vote. Among the records that Dunlap had been seeking were internal communications between Kobach and two other Republican commissioners that before those before those Republicans were actually officially named to the commission. Um, Kolar Catelli, the judge, said on Friday, the court shall not monitor every document to be released to the plaintiff, but expects defendants to comply with the guidance set forth in this decision. The commission has a clear cut duty 
to provide plaintiff with these documents and any similar documents that may exist now or in the future. The judge also slapped down the idea floated by the commission to allow Dunlap to view some of the documents in question, but not take notes or make copies of them. <laughs> it's just... I, that that's just so mind blowing to me that there would be a commission, you know, and there are these a Democrats, public a public commission, commission with taxpayer dollars. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm I'm actually now glad that some of these Democrats were allowed onto this commission. There was a question about whether they should join something that was clearly a sham, mm-hmm. but at least his being on there gives him standing to sue to get access to these documents to see what they're doing behind closed doors. I, and they were just, they were going to say we'll let you look at them, but, but not you can't keep take them. Notes. And not take notes. A public commission on which this man sits. Uh, Anyway, the judge said this is not a reasonable offer. If defendants have decided that plaintiff should be permitted to review documents, then he should be permitted to take notes and to make copies if he thinks that doing so uh, would be useful. Uh, so good news, I guess, if we can con- consider it that in this uh, ridiculous case, uh, Jessica Huseman of ProPublica was following this uh, decision as it came out late on Friday and said that uh, the judge found that the uh, uh, Commissioner Dunlap should have had an opportunity to view and comment on the letter that Kobach sent on commission letterhead requesting voter data to all of these, uh, you recall, they sent out to all 50 states asking them to send in all kinds of information on uh, voter registration, private information. Yeah, seriously personal, sensitive information that could be used in identity theft. And uh, Hans von Spakovsky, longtime right-wing voter fraud fraudster, J. Christian Adams, also a longtime right-wing voter fraud fraudster, They had been allowed to see this letter. As a matter of fact, I suspect they wrote this letter back when they weren't even on the commission. Uh, Dunlap was also, uh, the judge found, should have been allowed, uh, should have been able to impact the setting and the speaker list for the second meeting. They've had two public meetings so far. Dunlap was kept out of that, not allowed to, you know, request witnesses or anything else to to take part in this meeting. Dunlap should have been informed of the third commission meeting, which I don't believe has taken place yet. For now, that's been held off because of all of these lawsuits against this commission. But that didn't keep this group called the Minnesota Voters Alliance, uh, this right-wing anti-voter group, basically, They claim they had been invited to speak to this third commission meeting that the commissioner, this Democratic commissioner himself, didn't even know it was was scheduled, didn't even know there was going to be one. And he's seeing this group, Minnesota Voters Alliance, out there raising money, saying, hey, we're going to be testifying at the next voter fraud commission. So uh, he was not informed about that. Uh, Jessica Huseman says uh, basically the government lost on all of the uh, other arguments other than blocking the final report, if that report ever happens, Dunlap basically got everything he wanted uh, and told uh, Huseman that he will immediately return to court if the commission continues to deny him the ability to participate as a full commissioner. So this may not be the end of that battle. Um, In very related news, another lawsuit against this same phony commission has been tossed out by a court. An appeals court on Tuesday this week said that a, the, uh, a privacy group who had been suing 
this commission, was not itself a voter and therefore could not bring a claim alleging that the commission had failed to protect voters' privacy when it sent that uh, that letter seeking voter roll data. The appeals court said, as we read it, the provision, a provision passed by Congress, is intended to protect individuals in the present context, context voters, by requiring an agency to fully consider their privacy before collecting their personal information. But um, in denying the Electronic Privacy Information Center's request, or EPIC, uh, in denying their request to halt the commission's data, the court ruled that they just didn't have standing because they were not a voter, they were a group. And that is not the type of plaintiff that Congress contemplated uh, in the particular statute under which they were suing. Epic had brought the lawsuit after the commission uh, had sent letters to uh, state officials back in June seeking that voter roll data, including all manner of private information like birth dates, social security numbers, etc., everything that one would need to steal someone's identity should that information fall into the wrong hands or be sent or stored in an insecure manner, as many have argued Kobach's commission was actually doing. It wasn't secure. The, they were basically saying, hey, email us all of those uh, all of those names. Yeah, and we'll put it here. And, you know, this was about the same time that that massive breach occurred at Equifax, yeah. the credit bureau, and just demonstrated once again that there are so few areas, so few groups that have all of our personal information that protect them enough, and it's was pretty clear that this commission, this fake commission, did not have that security. Uh, so that uh, there are uh, that so that suit, however, was thrown out. The epic suit, however, there are a number of other legal challenges going on against this uh, phony commission, which has been widely criticized even by some Republican officials. So um, their work is still ground to a halt. I think that's a good thing as the uh, courts review all of these complaints about this fake commission. All right. In other election news today, very quickly, we reported in detail last week on the ongoing uh, challenges to the November results, uh, election results in a number of Virginia House of Delegates races. As you'll recall, Republicans were stunned after they got clobbered in the November 7 uh, off-year elections in Virginia when the entire Republican-controlled House was on the ballot and saw more than a dozen seats, a dozen long-held Republican seats flipped from Republican to Democrat. Uh, going into Election Day, the GOP had a, I think it was a 66-34 major, huge majority in the House of Delegates, which they had controlled for decades. Uh, and then they ran into this blue wave of voters on November 7. Uh, a number of those contests were very close, however, including the race for the 94th district in the uh, city of Newport News. And uh, the Republican there, David Yancey, had led by just 10 votes out of something like 22,000 votes cast. He was ahead by just 10 votes in the count before an automatic recount took place last week, which saw the Democrat Shelley Simons pick up 11 votes. That gave her a one-point win over the Republican, who then conceded after everyone had agreed. There was no out of 22,000 ballots. Every uh, one of them was determined without uh, any uh, challenge or conflict from any of the election officials, the bipartisan election officials who were judging them. So that meant that the 
Republicans would lose sole control of the Virginia House for the first time in decades, with the seats being split 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans. But before those final results could be certified the very next morning by a three-judge panel, a three-judge court panel the next day, one of the Republican election official judges had decided that, well, one of the ballots that he looked at uh, that had been uh, previously discarded as an overvote because the bubbles for both Yancey and Simons had been filled in. Um, he decided that that was actually a vote for the Republican after all. The uh, three Republican appointed judges on the court panel held a two hour hearing to look at the matter, and they agreed that it was a Republican vote because the Democratic vote had a slash through it, whereas the Republican vote didn't in that race. Uh, questionable whether they're right about that. We, uh, You can look at that ballot. We had it online last week at bradblog.com. But in any event, with those re- three Republican-appointed judges on the court panel agreeing with the Republican uh, election official that this was a Republican vote, uh, they added that to the total, and that made the race a tie which now means that, according to Virginia law, the winner will be determined by drawing a name out of a hat, essentially. Whoever loses that draw uh, will have a right to a second recount. Uh, That uh, random drawing was uh, set to take place on Wednesday morning of this week, but as of late last night, Virginia's State Board of Elections postponed that drawing after a request by the Democratic candidate. Lawyers representing Simons on Tuesday asked the Elections Board to delay the determination by lot until the three-judge recount panel had an opportunity to rule on a motion for suspension and a motion for reconsideration of their original ruling. The lawyers said that a decision by that three-judge recount panel to suspend its order and reconsider its determination that the uh, recount was a a tie, uh, could moot the need for the board to hold a drawing at all. In other words, if the judges decide, yeah, we were wrong on that. We were wrong, according to the Virginia law, going back to a ballot that had already been adjudicated and returning to it and saying, oh, you know, we changed our minds. That's what the Democrats are arguing. They're also arguing there's another Democrat, uh, another uh, ballot that was tossed out. Um, unanimously by the election officials during the recount that uh, should have been counted for the Democrat Ah. if they're going to play by those rules. So this is all being challenged. The random uh, drawing to determine, essentially determine control of the Virginia House of Delegates, uh, that is now going to be put off at least for a few days. The, um, the, uh, The election, the state election commission, said that would be fine. Uh, No parties will be prejudiced by a brief delay uh, as long as the process to draw the winner out of a hat, if that has to happen, as long as that is all completed before the legislative session begins January 10. Hmm. Okay. So they're going to be busy for the next few days. I'm glad Uh, that the Democrat is fighting. For uh, this, trying you know, to that, that people are fighting to get this uh, counted and counted accurately rather than just leaving it up to a draw. Yeah. And you know what? I think the uh, results are going to change again, no matter what happens. If they drew, do draw out of a hat and hold that second recount that the loser would be entitled to. Yeah. I think the numbers are going to change again because they count by machine 
they recount the same paper ballots by machine again, unless it's a ballot that can't be read for some reason by the machine, in which case human beings get to decide. Um, so, you know, but these machines are fickle and often wrong and read the same ballot differently each time in, in some cases. So those numbers could change again. We will keep our eyes on that. All right. Republicans, they're very good at this. They are very good at staying in power and uh, doing whatever it takes, even if they have to you know, change their mind. Oh, yeah, we all agreed yesterday that uh, the Democrat won. But now that I've had time to think about it, there was that one ballot. Let's go to court. Well, they're very good at that. They're very good at staying in power, very good at working the system through any means necessary to hang on to their seats, whether it's in state houses uh, like this, right on up to the presidency. Democrats, not so much. But uh, GOP control of government and, yes, the media, uh, that is not a coincidence. Unlike Democrats, Republicans have been shaping institutions like that for decades in order, really, to bring us to a moment where a Republican special counsel investigating the firing of a Republican FBI director by a Republican president can somehow, by any stretch of the imagination, can somehow be seen as a Democratic conspiracy to take down a president. Yes, that's what Fox News and a whole bunch of Republicans are now arguing that story and the history behind it is next on the Bradcast with John Schwartz. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Last May, after former FBI Director Robert Mueller, a lifelong Republican, was appointed as special counsel to oversee the Team Trump-Russia probe. Former U.S. House Speaker Newt Gingrich, also a lifelong Republican, lauded the move. Robert Mueller is a superb choice to be special counsel, Gingrich tweeted at the time. His reputation is impeccable for honesty and integrity. Well, that's encouraging. Republicans once seemed very concerned about Trump's apparent obstruction of justice. He had, after all, reportedly demanded loyalty from then-FBI director James Comey, also a lifelong Republican, and asked him to go easy on his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, all before abruptly firing Comey, resulting in the appointment of Mueller. Republicans seemed to be concerned about all of that at one time, along with uh, whatever Mueller's probe might find and about a possible constitutional crisis that could occur if Trump, in a fit of pique, attempted to fire Mueller as well. 
But those concerns, at least by Republicans, appear to have faded quite quickly. Less than one month after his May tweet lauding Mueller, Newt Gingrich in June seemed to have a very quick change of heart. Mueller is now clearly the tip of the deep state spear aimed at destroying or at a minimum undermining and crippling the Trump presidency. Gingrich tweeted, perhaps hoping nobody would notice his previous accolades for the appointment of Mueller less than 30 days earlier. Gingrich's about-face should have been a warning sign. It should have sparked action from Democrats to demand protection of Mueller to keep him in place. Perhaps from the Congressional Democratic Caucus, uh, they could even have demanded articles of impeachment if that sort of thing should happen. Yet... As Washington Post's Greg Sargent noted at his Plumline blog just before the Christmas recess, publicly Democratic leaders are urging the rank and file to play down any talk of impeachment out of, out of fear that it might be perceived as overreach. But, says Sargent, there is no reason for Democrats to be apologetic about preparing for possible impeachment in certain plausible scenarios. First, he writes, it's just obviously true on the merits that we should be at least discussing the subject. Trump's ongoing self-dealing and abuses of power, the facts being unearthed in the Russia probes, the obvious efforts earlier this year to hamstring the FBI, the blithe lack of concern about future assaults on our democracy, the uncontrollable contempt for governing norms and the rule of law, and the profound inability to grasp the most basic obligations that come with his office both to the public and to the integrity of our government. All of that, he says, plainly add up to an aggregate level of degradation that commands a serious effort to determine whether Donald Trump is fit to continue. Second, he writes, it's perfectly plausible that there actually will be a constitutional crisis in coming weeks or months. We don't know if Trump will try to remove special counsel Robert Mueller, but some of his friends and advisors believe this is a genuine possibility. And, of course, in recent weeks, as I'm sure you've noticed, the Republican propaganda network known as Fox News has seriously ratcheted up the calls for Mueller to be fired and for the entire FBI to be purged. The investigation into Donald Trump's campaign has been crooked from the jump. But the scary part is we may now have proof the investigation was weaponized to destroy his presidency for partisan political purposes. There is a cleansing needed in our FBI and Department of Justice. It needs to be cleansed of individuals who should not just be fired, but who need to be taken out in handcuffs. I would like to see the, the directors of those agencies purge it. This is a bureaucratic conspiracy. This is what it is starting to look like. I think it's safe to say we now know that we have the most corrupt FBI, the most corrupt Justice Department in our country's history. There should be people going to jail right now. Wow. At the same time, as Sergeant reports, Trump's lawyers are telling him that he will be exonerated soon. But if not, Trump may go into a meltdown. If that happens, we just don't know how congressional Republicans will respond here. If Republicans don't act in the face of obviously impeachable offenses, writes Sargent, Democrats will have to take the lead. Oh, boy. In making a big case to the country about why Trump's aggregate misconduct has crossed over into a legitimate basis for undoing the effects of the election. 
This, he writes, is a difficult and complicated business, I would say, particularly for Democrats. And Democrats, nonetheless, should be preparing for it with a current effort to grapple with the totality and larger significance of that misconduct, which is, if anything, mounting. Now, previously, you'll recall that when uh, when Donald Trump fired Comey, he charged that the FBI itself was in tatters. On Tuesday of this week, after the Christmas holiday, Trump tweeted in all caps, so you know he means it, that the FBI is now, quote, tainted. Back to Sergeant here. Democrats should still be talking about these matters right now if only because the public deserves a serious discussion of what is happening in our politics in a broader sense, not just at the hands of Trump's offenses, but also amid the Republican Party's enabling of those offenses. It is often argued, he says, that Democrats should stick to jobs and the economy and not talk too much about Trump's behavior. Tom Steyer, the California billionaire, his ads calling for impeachment have been derided. Uh, by some, by some Democrats, as a big waste of money. But someone has to be staking out the outer boundaries of this conversation, right, Sergeant? This moment is potentially too consequential for the party to retreat into squeamish message tailoring. Democrats should rise to the occasion and treat it with the gravity and ambition that it commands. But, you know, then again... They are Democrats. And sadly, it seems that's not how Democrats roll to their decades, frankly, of shame and uh, of political losses to accompany it. Timidity of the sort that we're seeing from Democrats is hardly new for them, even as aggressiveness along those lines has become a, a, a historical hallmark of the Republican Party, which... As John Schwartz detailed in a lengthy historical essay at The Intercept last week, has been ongoing for decades. Before joining The Intercept, John Schwartz worked for Michael Moore's Dog Eat Dog Films. He was the research producer for Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. He's written for The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, Slate, as well as NPR and Saturday Night Live. His piece at The Intercept, which caught my eye last week, connects decades of dots, frankly, in what I'll call the Republican protection racket, as they have molded institutions to keep themselves in power and keep the rule of law from catching up to them. His story is headlined, Republican attacks on Robert, Robert Mueller are absurd, but the GOP has been lawless for decades. John Schwartz, sir, welcome back to the broadcast and Merry War on Christmas, my friend. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have been losing lately, but I have faith that we'll rally and eventually destroy Christmas. Okay, I'm sure we will. We'll get to it. We'll get this is just a pause in the in the in the fight, I know. But before we get to destroy Christmas, Democrats need to get back into power to do it. Uh, there is a lot to chew on in your piece at The Intercept, John. Lots of history uh, going back at least as far as FDR, if not farther. So I will link to it and hope that folks read it in full because I think it's really important. But but let me move this dot connecting business up to Richard Nixon and Watergate. Uh, and how that uh, ties to Donald Trump eventually here, because you detail how what happened during the Nixon administration really directly relates to where we are now. For example, you describe how in the decades since Watergate, a bit of a myth has developed about Republicans in Congress who are said to have stood up 
to the uh, to the president, forcing what would become his resignation um, as the U.S. House was on the cusp of impeaching him at the time. But there were, in fact, a number of Republicans who did confront Nixon, but it was by no means a majority of them. And even that took a bit of screaming and kicking in defense of Nixon before they were willing uh, before they were willing to go there, something that I think we're we're seeing now as Republicans seem to be falling in line behind Donald Trump. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, the history of Watergate has been completely rewritten in the past 45 years. You know, the reality is that it just barely succeeded. All of the investigations, all of the obvious blatant wrongdoing by Nixon was just barely enough to get him out of office. Under other circumstances, if the Republicans had controlled Congress, mm-hmm. if they'd uh, had Fox News then, mm-hmm. if they'd had decades of appointing people to the courts, then it's very likely that Nixon would have stayed in office and uh, people would remember it as just a sort of you know minor blip, even though he truly was a monstrous figure in U.S. history. You know, one thing I mentioned in the article is mm-hmm. that it's not really Watergate. What people remember is the crimes of Watergate are real. They're significant. He should have been impeached just for that, but he did so much more. Yeah, you you write that, that there was an enormous amount of liberal self congratulation at the time that the system had worked, but what, but but that was true only in the sense that the system worked when Al Capone was convicted of tax evasion. Nixon, like Al Capone, you argue, w- was really never held accountable for the worst of his crimes. Yeah, that, that's right, and it's kind of shocking how this has been completely kept out of history. The biggest. Uh, most appalling thing that Nixon ever did Mm -hmm. was during the 1968 presidential campaign. He was running against Hubert Humphrey, who had been LBJ's vice president. And LBJ had come very close to coming up with a peace deal that would have ended the Vietnam War. This was right towards the end of the campaign in October and November of 1968. Mm -hmm. And Nixon knew about this. Uh, He had people who were reporting back to him about the negotiations. And Nixon got in touch with the South Vietnamese government and said, like, don't make a deal. We're going to win. You know, we're going to get into office Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, keep things going and get a better deal for you guys. And Nixon did not do that. He got into office and he just kept the war going. The eventual end of the Vietnam War was based on principles that are very similar to those that were available in, in 1968. So it was, depending on how you count it, four, five, six, seven years mm-hmm. of additional killing of Americans, additional killing of Vietnamese by Americans, additional killing of Cambodians. I, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people died because Nixon prevented peace from, peace from breaking out. Yeah. Uh, his, his greatest fear was that there would be a peace deal signed and... Hubert Humphrey would win because obviously people wanted peace by then, and he kept it from happening, and no one in America knows about this, but... That, in fact, is the case. Yeah, I mean, it really was, you know, collusion with a foreign power that, you know, we talk about that right now with Trump. But this was really uh, collusion with a foreign power. And uh, when we also talk about the Logan Act, uh, because I've had a lot of questions about exactly what the crime is uh, at the heart of this uh, Trump-Russia investigation. Uh, some people have talked about the Logan Act. Oh, they were they were planning to, uh, you know, overturn the sanctions against Russia. Well, they would have done that 
after they came into power. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure that the Logan Act even applied there applies there. But with Nixon, it seems quite clear uh, they really were undermining American foreign policy right then and there that might have ended a war and resulted in thousands of, of dead Americans. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I, I would say both with Nixon and with Trump and Russia today, mm-hmm. the question is not truly did they commit crimes, because it is possible for politicians to do things that are truly horrendous, mm-hmm. that are not formally illegal in any sense. And that's why impeachment exists. Right. It, it exists to hold people accountable for things like high crimes and misdemeanors. What does that mean? Nobody actually knows. Right. Uh, it's just a judgment that this person is unfit to hold office. And they don't actually have to have committed, you know, like a mm-hmm. crime that you can point to in the law book. It just means that this person should not be in office by the judgment of the current Congress. So that was definitely true with Nixon, whatever laws he violated. He he was unfit for office. And whatever laws Trump has has violated, I think he clearly is unfit for office as well. Yeah, I think uh, Greg Sargent makes a, a great case for that in his rant, sort of pulling together all of these reasons why uh, Trump it seems worthy of impeachment, at least worthy of the effort by uh, Democrats to start talking about it. But I'm getting ahead of myself here because out of Nixon uh, and out of Watergate uh, and, and everything that has happened since, uh, well, right in the middle of the, the Nixon administration, I guess, before he left office, came an ingenious idea from one of Nixon's top communications advisors. Uh, that definitely comes into play right now as far as the Trump case. Uh, this idea came from a young man by the name of Roger Ailes. What was Roger Ailes's big idea, John Schwartz? Yes, Roger Ailes, uh, this young, promising man who clearly had a big future in front of him, uh, wanted to create what he called uh, a plan for putting the GOP on TV news. And... At that point, Ailes did not even envision an entire network, but he developed the idea, and eventually it became Fox. Mm -hmm. And what Fox has done is create a gathering place where all of just the craziest stories, the craziest beliefs about reality can be gathered together into one place. And the Republican grassroots can watch it and be told, like, oh, you know, it seems bad. Sure, it seems bad when Donald Trump and his campaign have been in touch with you know, various people from the mm-hmm. Russian government. But the real crime here was committed by Hillary Clinton. Uh, the real crime here was committed by Comey. You played some excerpts of various crazy things that have happened on Fox. Mm-hmm. So what Fox has done is, uh, is not really create propaganda that's aimed at you and me, at, or at Democrats or liberals at whomever. Really, it's propaganda that is aimed at the Republican grassroots, so that when they start feeling uncomfortable about terrible things that their leaders have done, Fox arrives and be like, oh, no, don't listen to that at all. Let me tell you another story. Right. And and it seems... Uh, yeah, no, go, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is the reason this is so effective and so dangerous is that at least 20% of America is now living in an alternate, alternate mental reality. Mm-hmm where they truly believe things about life on Earth that have 
nothing to do with what's really going on, and that is largely thanks to Fox. And and that was one of the reasons I wanted to uh, that I, I pointed out that those uh, that that pair of uh, Newt Gingrich tweets in the uh, in, in the intro there because you know at first he gave his opinion about uh, the appointment of Robert Mueller, and at the time everyone thought you know uh, Mueller has an impeccable uh, the credentials, at least you know people on the right, uh, the Republicans felt that way about him. Uh, and it seems like it was before Fox News had the chance to, uh, you know, to get hold of them. And suddenly, not even 30 days later, he's changing his tune. Oh, this is all part of the deep state. It's a scam. It's a scam. It's a conspiracy to take down uh, the president. And so with Fox's help, it seems the right sort of coalesces behind these ideas. And it's very effective. And I think they have. Roger Roger Ailes and and to a lesser extent, I guess, uh, Richard Nixon to thank for that. And at the same time, you note in your piece at The Intercept, uh, the the so-called Powell memo came out that talked about how the judiciary, uh, among other things, how the judiciary uh, is important for uh, bringing together social, economic and political change on the right. And Republicans have invested in that judiciary and in packing the courts, if you will, across the uh, across the country to get us sort of where we are now. And I don't see anything. I don't see any similar effort either in the media or in the courts or anywhere else among Democrats um, that that parallels that effort by Republicans on the right. Yeah, it does not exist. And I would strongly urge everybody who has not read it before to check out the Powell memo. There's a link to it in my piece. Mm -hmm. And it describes exactly what has happened for the last 40, 45 years. I mean, they laid out a plan and they executed it and it worked. And it really has. And in in the bargain out of all of this, ironically enough, Democrats have uh, developed what you describe as a heads you win, tails we lose mentality when it comes to things like special prosecutors or presidents uh, and even for heads of the FBI. Uh, what do you mean by that? Because I think this is another really important point that 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 people don't appreciate about special prosecutors going back decades for both Republican and Democratic presidents and uh, and the heads, all of the heads of the FBI. Yeah, that's right. There have been, since Watergate, a number of important independent councils, special councils, like depending on the law, the term is sometimes uh, somewhat different. Uh, Since Watergate, there have been zero special councils like this who were Democrats. When a Republican president is being investigated, Democrats have accepted that it's only fair, of course, of course, you have to have a special counsel who's a Republican. Mm -hmm. Therefore, Republicans will be able to trust the outcome. If it's a Democratic president, if it's Bill Clinton, then the special counsel obviously has to be a Republican, (laughs) because it wouldn't be fair for a Democrat to be investigated by a Democrat. And so that's been accepted by people, uh, by liberals, that somehow there is a, you know, head you win, tails I lose arrangement, and that that's legitimate. And as you mentioned, the same thing is true for the FBI. There has literally never been a Democrat appointed as head of the FBI. And Democratic presidents have appointed three FBI directors. Every single one was a Republican. And that's what's like so shameless about the claims about this investigation of Trump being unfair to him. Mm-hmm. There is no more right-wing institution in the U.S. filled with more committed Republicans 
than the FBI. Anybody who knows anything about the FBI, whoever deals with the FBI, knows that it's filled with Republicans, it's filled with very fervent Republicans. In fact, uh, uh, one of the reasons Comey was concerned about revealing that they'd reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails right at the end of the campaign, just before the election, is because he knew that the FBI is full of Republicans who would leak the information if mm-hmm. he didn't make it public himself. So it is one of the most conservative parts of the U.S. government, and that is with the acceptance and uh, whatever you want to call it, just mm-hmm. like like sad uh, sort of loser behavior. They're the Washington generals of politics by the by the Democrats. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I, got, I have to repeat this because... It kind of blows my mind, the idea that if you're going to investigate a Republican president, uh, you can't put a Democrat in there to do it because the Democrat would be biased. So you have to put in a Republican. But if it's a Democratic president, where are the calls to have a Democratic uh, special counsel? That just doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. It must be a Republican. Otherwise, it would be a biased investigation. It is quite a racket they got going there that they were able to pull that off. Uh, and we don't hear any really complaints about that in the corporate media. The corporate media, it seems, and you discussed this as well in your piece, has developed a sort of a similar mentality for pulling its punches against Republicans. Why is that and how did that happen? And I'm sure this will come as a complete shock to anybody who uh, actually watches Fox News. But it's true. They do pull their punches when it comes to Republicans. Yeah, I I mean, I've said this before and I will say it again. Like, I've gotten inured to the corporate media being called liberal. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the craziest things on earth that mm-hmm. these gigantic for-profit corporations could ever be liberal. Everyone listening to this knows that they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone knows that you would never hear this kind of stuff on ABC or NBC. Uh, but nonetheless, they, they are called liberal, and exactly the same strategy is being used now to call other conservative institutions, specifically the FBI, liberal. Like, there is nothing but liberalism, apparently, in all U.S. institutions. <laughs> right. And the U.S. media has, they have uh, adopted the same perspective as the Democrats, which is they're just, their real message to the Republicans is, please don't hit us. Like, please don't say anything mean about us. Mm. Uh, we will do whatever you want done, and you're right, we're, we're terrible, terrible liberals as you would expect from any gigantic profit-seeking corporation. And uh, we are not going to investigate Republicans again. Uh, This is something that Ben Bradley said in his autobiography. After Watergate, he decided, like, we don't need to do that again. We specifically don't need to investigate a Republican president. And that really is the attitude of of a lot of the media. And that was because, uh, why? Why did Bradley feel that way? Because, uh, oh, we've already taken down, we've helped to take down one Republican president. If we do it again, we'll be seen as biased against Republicans? Yeah, I mean, they are just, they're, they're terrified of being called liberal. Uh, they do not care at all about you and me calling them center-right, which <laughs> uh, demonstrates, you know, yep. what is actually going on. They're, they're, they're scared of it because the news executives, you know, they report mm-hmm. to higher-up executives and their big corporations who are themselves generally Republican and right-wing. So 
uh, they will lose their jobs if they're too liberal. And and Republicans, uh, Republican presidents since Nixon, including Ronald Reagan, including George Bush Sr., including obviously George W. Bush, you sort of detail all of these in your piece. They've all seemed to have benefited from these pulled punches. Uh, by both Democrats and the media. And, you know, the only uh, actual impeachment we've had since is, of course, against a Democrat, uh, you know, for having sex in the Oval Office after a... How long was that? How long was that special investigation of, uh, of, of Bill Clinton? Yes, the, wa- the Whitewater Special Counsel investigation lasted for nine years. <laughs> Nine years, and yet they're all complaining that this uh, this uh, Trump, uh, this special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller, has just gone on and on and on and on and on, and it's been, what, about five or six months at best at this point. And somehow this just goes, you know, this just goes out there, and frankly, not just on Fox, but all over the media. This is just uh, the Republican viewpoint, and, and people buy into it. Uh, John uh, Schwartz, uh, you, you conclude your piece. By the way, uh, thank you for noting uh, in that piece that, uh, because nobody ever does, so thank you for doing this, that, uh, quote, a full examination published in November 2001 found that every under every possible counting standard, Al Gore would have won Florida and the presidency along with it if all of the votes in Florida had been counted and that the oh so liberal and biased against Republicans Washington Post they covered this story but only on page 10 uh, in November of 2001. And so I can't imagine, had, had it been reversed, had it turned out that you know Al Gore had gone in, but they discovered that George W. Bush actually won, that that would have been buried on page A10. So thank you for pointing that out. I think your conclusion in this whole piece seems to be that you're arguing that the, the system is rigged by Republicans and for Republicans. Is that a sort of a fair summary of, of the case you make in your piece? Yeah, it, it is absolutely rigged. And whatever Trump did regarding Russia, I think it's extremely unlikely that he will face any true consequences. So where Bruce Bartlett said uh, Nixon would have finished uh, his term, uh, you see a similar, you see us heading towards a similar situation here, that Trump will somehow wriggle out of any and all of this. Republicans will help him. Democrats will have made themselves powerless to do anything about it. And the media will go go right along with it. And we just all wait to see what happens in, in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, what I would say is that things could truly change if the Democrats were to take back one or both houses of Congress. If they were pushed by their grassroots to truly investigate Trump, something could happen. But it requires getting and holding political power and and pressure from regular people. Yeah, and I recall when uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats uh, took power under George W. Bush during the midterm elections, uh, they said then that they wanted to put impeachment off the table because they were then more concerned about taking the White House. It seems like they always put themselves in the... In the back of the bus, uh, they, they, they always do. And if Hillary Clinton were president and had done the things that Trump has done, everyone knows she would have been already impeached ninety-seven times. Oh my God! Yeah, 
this would have been over long ago, I, I suspect, had had the situation been reversed. Thank you for pointing all of these facts out, all these details out. I'll link to your story, uh, John, and I'll urge people to click on many of the links within your story because there's a lot of good stuff that uh, seems to be getting lost to history here somehow. Uh, John Schwartz's piece is Republican attacks on Robert Mueller are absurd, but the GOP has been lawless for decades. You can find that over at TheIntercept.com, and you can find John Schwartz on the Twitters at you are now simply Schwartz. On the on the I, I am now I'm now just Schwartz S C H W A R Z no T uh, I'm in I'm in charge of all the Schwartzes. Good, keep an eye on them. Uh, someone's got <laughs> to. Hey, thanks, John. Really appreciate you joining us. Happy New Year, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again in 2018. Okay, sounds good. All right, quick break, and we're back with oh maybe some listener email and a bit more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. You're just trying to calm me down. I know. I appreciate it, Des. <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi, you said uh, you had over the break, uh, you, you had a point you wanted to make about the the Powell memo, which was uh, sort of part of the Republican scheme since uh, the Nixon era to basically... Yeah. Take over everything yeah, uh, from it, the court systems to everywhere else. It is the genesis of what we're seeing today. And, and I highly recommend looking it up, as John recommended. It was written by who uh, Justice Lewis Powell. He eventually became a member of the Supreme Court appointed by Nixon. He wrote it in 1971. It was a reaction against the civil rights and labor rights movement. And it was basically laying out a framework for taking billionaires and corporate money and creating a network of think tanks mm -hmm. that would generate reports and data that could then be dutifully reported by the media, well, you know, because they want to do both sides. So it was a way to take advantage of the media and put out the right-wing way of doing things. The, well, the, the scam was that businesses were not getting, uh, you know, equal fair, fair treatment when it came to politics. They needed to be able to exercise their political power. Yeah, they wanted to reassert yeah. their power. And so they created this echo chamber this right-wing media echo chamber that we have today. You know, this is a long-term funding process that, that Powell promoted over 40 years ago. This is partly how Exxon was able to fund climate change denial by funding so many of these groups and these media outlets and, of course, also media consolidation among television, radio, and now Internet. It's working out real well for them, even though businesses don't get to vote. All right, quickly, uh, some listener email because it's related here. This is from Ted T. in Apalachicola, Florida. I listened with a little dismay 
to yesterday's broadcast about the movement to impeach Trump. This was a show we did uh, last week with uh, Jeet here of New Republic, who was essentially arguing that many Democrats are too obsessed with impeachment and should worry instead about policy issues to run on in 2018 since they don't have power to impeach now anyway, being in the minority in Congress. Um, he notes that, uh, Ted notes that uh, you seem to disagree with your guest. I did, uh, or at least I was of two minds uh, on it. Uh, Ted says, I am firmly of the mind that talk of impeachment just distracts from real discussion of issues. I've seen that before. Unless we see Trump as the epitome of the capitalist system that we want to remove, we should stick to issues, says Ted. Uh, well, I think Trump is the epitome of the capitalist system uh, that we ought to be uh, thinking about removing. But that said, Ted, I appreciate your point. And I don't believe that you're wrong, uh, but while also feeling that, you know, wrongdoing demands accountability. And the fact that there was not accountability brought against the George W. Bush administration when uh, Obama came into power and when Democrats took over the, 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 the House and the Senate. There was not uh, accountability for what Ronald Reagan did uh, in Iran-Contra, what George H.W. Bush did, his involvement there. And as, um, and as John Schwartz argued, real accountability was never brought against Richard Nixon. So if we keep letting these things happen, if we don't bring accountability and if we don't tell voters that, hey, uh, hey, I'm a Democrat, put me in office, I will impeach this president. I think that gives something for voters to vote for personally. Um, but as I noted, I'm of two minds on this. Uh, at least two minds on this. Uh, I noted that during my conversation with Jeet here. Um, and uh, I would also point folks towards uh, that Greg Sargent piece that I read from at the top of uh, the uh, introduction to uh, John Schwartz, saying that, yes, let voters know that you have a plan to do something about this fine yeah, mess. I, I think it needs to be both. It's possible to both walk and chew gum at the same time. It's possible to talk about accountability for wrongdoing and also possible to run on issues and a positive looking forward plan for the future. Democrats walk and chew gum at the same time? I'm <laughs> going to try. You're asking quite a bit. All right. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to John Schwartz of The Intercept for joining us today. And as ever, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. It is a great honor to be heard in your car, your home, your living room, wherever you may uh, happen across the uh, broadcast. Thank you. You can drop me email if you have any thoughts on all of this. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at simply the Brad blog. And again, my thanks to those of you uh, hoping to encourage us to continue into the new year by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Your support, especially right now, is tremendously appreciated at bradblog.com slash donate. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.